0: In a few days, it will be Shavuos. Shavuos does not have many halachas or even minhagim associated with it outside the basic halachas of Yom Tov. Two of the famous customs, one involves staying up all night and learning Torah, the other involves eating dairy. The minhag of eating dairy is actually closely bound up in various ways with the prohibition of of eating meat and milk together. As a matter of fact, there are many different reasons given for the custom of eating dairy. One, perhaps less well-known one, is the one, there are mubbrings, that the reason we eat dairy is because, of course, we're going to eat meat as well for the yomtuh meal, and, then we're going to ha- and thus we're going to have to have two separate breads because you can't eat the same bread with both meat and dairy, because, it, because the food rubs off on the bread and you're going to mix the meat and the dairy. So having having a, having dairy, since you're also going to have meat, is going to require the use of two separate loaves of bread and uh, two separate sets of Lachemish, and two separate loaves of bread, and that will be a uh, an allusion to the shteilechem, the the special carbon of two loaves of bread that was bought that was brought on shavuos. So, so so according to this pshat, that it was because of basar Rechalov that having dairy is going to trigger the the allusion to the shte Alechem. Many other poskim discuss. The the, the uh, several related questions. What about it? Do you have to have meat on Yom Tov? Can you have a a a, a, a holy dairy meal? It's actually a big machlokas The darchechuva has a whole discussion about this. There's a major machlokus at postkim, The Gemara says, Ein Simcha The halachic notion of Simcha is fulfilled with meat and wine. In the time of the Temple, it means the basar means basar shlamim. They used to bring carbon shlamim and eat the meat, and that would be both for the body and the soul. It had Kedusha, it was a carbon, it was, it was also tasty, it was meat. Buzman HaZeh, there's a major question in the postkim whether the rule of Ein Simchel Basr V'yayin means that a person is required to eat meat on Yom Tov. Some say yes, some say no. Some say meat specifically, not even chicken. You should have beef or hot dogs or whatever it is on, on Yom Tov. If you have to have meat, that obviously poses uh, some difficulty... With the cost, for the custom of eating dairy, of course, according to the Ramah, that's exactly the point. He's supposed to have both dairy and meat. Some people still do that. Some people have the, the, the Daka Shuba brings the custom. They have a uh, they, ha, they have a little dairy kiddush, and then they bring out new bread and, and have the meal. The, the meat meal. So this way, they, they do both the Rama's custom as well as the as well as the idea that Simchas Yom Tov is fulfilled with basar. Some, have, some people have some meals which are dairy and some which are meat. Some people eat dairy at night. Darche Shuva argues that some post can say the mitzvah of Simcha applies at night as well. You really have to eat meat at night as well. So there are all kinds of different customs about eating dairy on Shavuos, when you do it, how you do it. In particular, those who ate both dairy and meat at the same meal run into trouble, of course, with the halacha that you're supposed to wait between eating meat and dairy. If you eat meat, there are different customs, but the dominant custom is to wait six hours. Some people, some, some Jews of German extraction or Dutch extraction, wait three hours, but by and large, most Jews wait six hours. So if you eat meat first, then you have a problem. You, you can't eat dairy afterward. The solution, of course, is to eat dairy first and then meat. So what we're going to discuss tonight actually is a, a famous chuva of the Maram of Rattenberg, ...who discusses this question of whether you're allowed to eat meat after dairy... ...or whether you have to wait as you do between, between meat and milk. We're going to discuss some of the background of this. In general, in, in, in the customs of Shavuos, there were some customs... ...that actually did cut certain corners on Basar B'chalaf. Nobody ate bona fide Basar B'chalav ...but there were some customs that involved being lenient on certain uh, less serious... ...less serious uh, details of Basar B'chalaf. The The dominant custom today is that we are not lenient at all, that we follow the halachas of Basar B'chalov rigorously, and that whatever one does about dairy and meat should be done in such a way that it's consistent with the halachas of meat and milk that we follow all year round. So as I said, tonight we're going to study a tshuva of the Maram of Rattenberg and the reaction of later generations to it. It is a famous tshuva, it's a difficult-to-understand tshuva, and it has ramifications not just for contemporary practice, it has major ramifications for contemporary practice, with regard to Basr B'chalav, it also has major implications for for Meta-Halacha, for the philosophy of Halacha, for the notion of Chumrah, for the notion of inventing Chumrah. As we'll see, it's a fascinating, albeit somewhat problematic, tshuva. The tshuva itself is quite brief. We'll study the tshuva, and then we'll see some of the reaction of later poskim to the tshuva. Simcha, you want to say something? Right, Simcha is going to suggest also that we can avoid the the better-known halacha of not eating dairy after meat, by eating dairy first. But that is what the shuva of the Maram talks about, whether that's permitted, whether you're allowed to eat dairy and then meat. So as I said, the shuva is of the Maram of Rattenberg. The Maram of Rattenberg was one of the greatest chachamim of a culture, which was one of the greatest Torah cultures in the history of Kal Yisrael, the Rishonim of Ashkenaz, medieval Ashkenaz. It was a legendary culture of Torah, of, of Talmud study. And there were many great Chachamim, beginning with Rashi, Rashi's grandchildren, son-in-law's grandchildren, Rabbi Tam, the Ri. The Maram of Rattenberg, or the Mayor of Rattenberg, or be Mayor Barbaruch of Rattenberg, was one of the greatest of that whole, of that whole half a millennium of Torah study in medieval Ashkenaz. Maram of Rattenberg was one of the greatest of all, of all the Chachamim. He was a teacher of the Rush, and he, 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 was, he was very influential. He was a 13th century figure. He was deeply influential upon uh, upon later upon the later generations of Ashkenaz, Rabbeinu Asher, the Rush, the Mordechai, Rabbeinu Yerucham, and certainly among later Poskim, he, he was considered one of the pillars of Ashkenazic Halacha. Like many of the great German Chachamim, he was not a philosopher. As far as we know, he was not a grammarian, he was not a Kabbalist, he was... Uh, the, the, many of the great chachmei Ashkenaz, they lived, they breathed, they 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 dreamed Torah, they dreamed Talmud, they, they were entirely focused on the Talmud. There was nothing for them but Talmud. And the Maram was a was an outstanding example of this uh, of this genre of Talmud chacham. He was a profoundly influential scholar. Who's uh, it's actually interesting. We, we don't have very we don't really have Spahr written by the Maram himself. We have a small work on 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 the Meser on, on Chomesh that they discovered from him. Most of what we have from the Maram of Rattenberg are his responsa. For many years, his responsa were not collected as a primary source for halaches. For many years, much of the Maram's Torah, most of the Maram's Torah was known through his students. The Rosh frequently cites him, the Mordechai, the Agos Amanios, the Agos Hashri. He was cited frequently in, in, in other, other German sources. Over the years, more and more of the actual responsa, the primary work, the primary Torah that he wrote, have been discovered and published. So by now, there are at least a half dozen different collections of responsa of the Maram. The one we're going to to study tonight is from one of the oldest and most classic of the collections, and that is the one known as Tfus Prague, the Prague edition. No actual connection to Prague, except that it was printed in Prague. This is one of the, the earliest, the, one of the earliest, first published and classic collections of response to the Maram. As I always point out, everything we've seen from the Maram in, in other rishonim has pretty much eventually been found in the tshuvas. It seems that back then, Torah was transmitted primarily through the written word. There, there's very little of, I heard verbally from someone, the Maram, for many years we didn't have the tshuvas, but more and more the, the tshuvas have been found, and pretty mu- we haven't found everything yet, but pretty much... It's pretty clear, in, in my opinion, that everything the, the later generations quoted from the Maram is in these hundreds, thousands of, thousands of tshuvas that he wrote. So the Chuva we're going to study tonight was known to the early postkin primarily via the Mordechai who cites it, but it, it's present again in, the, in this collection of Shailot's tshuvas Maram, the Fus Prague. and here is the tshuva. The tshuva, as I said earlier, concerns eating meat after milk without waiting a full six hours. He writes, Bimei Chorfi, when I was young... I ridiculed those who waited before eating meat after cheese when the poskim say cheese it's, uh, this is actually a chronic problem in Basra B'chalav Gvina, cheese, is sometimes used simply as a synonym for dairy we say milk often when we say dairy, eating meat and milk we refer the Torah says so the, in the Gemara and the Rishonim, the poskim they frequently use the word Gvina when they mean dairy in general Sometimes, however, we'll discuss this later tonight, when they say Gvina, they specifically mean cheese. And that's something important to keep in mind as we go through this topic. There were some people, he said, who used to wait after eating cheese before they ate meat. I would make fun of them, he says. I ridicule them. Ba'adur shor I thought this was heresy. The Talmud is very clear. You, you need to wait between meat and milk. How, how long you have to wait is not so clear, but the Talmud is very clear that you need to wait between meat and milk. But the Talmud makes it very clear, you do not need to wait between milk and meat. You have to wash your hands, and you have to clean out your mouth, and other things you have to do, but you do not need to wait between milk and meat. Says the Maram, as I said, the Maram was uh, Mr. Talmud, basically. The Maram had basically no patience, no use for anything beyond the Talmud. People inventing Humrus was not something he had any use for. If a Humra directly contradicted the Talmud, this was something that he thought was foolish at best, and heretical at worst. So the Maram said, when I was young, I thought this practice was unacceptable and ridiculous. Ad Shepamachas, once the Maram says, after a while, after a while had elapsed, I finished one meal and I was up to the next meal, Matsasi Gvina benchina. I was about to eat meat, I did eat meat, I was about to eat meat, and I found there was cheese still stuck in my teeth. So I realized that these people are not so foolish. Afterwards, there is a really credible concern that the cheese will be stuck in your mouth for a while, and if you then eat meat, you may come to a problematic admixture of basr me. So I established a, a rule, like a for myself, the basr achar gvina, that I would wait before eating meat after cheese, Kumo gvina achar basr. I would wait the same amount of time, the same, the, the, I, I would do the same separation for meat after cheese, then for cheese after meat what about my concern that the Talmud says it's not a problem? The Talmud. In my older and wiser period, he says, I no longer consider this to be disagreeing with the Talmud. It's not like adding to the Talmud, which is also problematic. We don't add to the Talmud either. And the reason why is, he says, because the Talmud itself has precedent for this. The Parakala Basar and Masech kulin and the Sugius of Basar B'chala, the Gemara says, One of the sages of the Talmud said, My conduct in the area of Basir B'chalav is like vinegar vis-a-vis wine, when compared to my my father. My father was much more meticulous about Basar B'chalav, I am much less meticulous. How so? My father, if he ate meat today, he would not eat dairy until the following day. A full 24 hours, a full day would have to pass before he would eat dairy. Post can actually discuss whether this is a a chumrah that someone can adopt a legitimate chumrah or not. Certainly not the halacha. However, I, he said, I'm not so strict. For me, bensud lassud is enough. I I wait simply, whatever it is, six hours, whatever the share is. I don't wait. I don't wait till the next day. Says the maram. You see, the cholchad Murey anafshe Lasas Mishmeras. His father was more strict. Obviously, the ikra din is we pass, and you don't need to wait till the next day. His father did wait till the next day. How could his father do that? Isn't that Kemosif uh, talmud isn't that, isn't that something which is uh, going against the halacha? Says the Maram, apparently what I said originally may not have been so correct. Apparently it's not so bad, at least in this area, to add to the Talmud. Everyone, individuals, are allowed to add stringencies for themselves. Lassos mishmeres to make a kind of gzera. However, the Maram says, basur Ofani I'm not so strict about chicken. I will eat chicken, I will eat fowl, poultry, within, within six hours after cheese. The Gemara in that suya says that, 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 that poultry is more lenient than meat, perhaps because poultry is only whatever the reason is, the Gemara says that in, in, with regard to certain questions about what you have to do between cheese and meat, washing your hands and washing your mouth and so on, the Gemara says, complicated circuit, we're not going to get into it, but, we, but in certain ways the Gemara says that Basar Of is more lenient, and therefore with regard to waiting after cheese I'm more lenient about oaf. and I don't wait the full six hours after, I don't wait the full share after cheese. So here's the this is the end of the Tshuva, V'shalom, Meir, Bar Baruch Z'kron, of Alechai, So this is, this is the evolution of the Maram's thinking, when he was younger, Bimei Chorfi, he thought that it, w- he, it was ridiculous to wait, and he thought it was heretical to, 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 to think you're, you're smarter than the Talmud. Then, two things happened. A, he once had a, a near-miss, or a, he once had a problematic case where he saw there was still cheese stuck in his teeth a while after he had eaten cheese, and he realized it could very easily lead to a problem if he would eat meat if with, with, too soon after cheese. And second, he makes the analytical point that we find even in the Talmud, they, they used to add Chumrus and Basr Berchalov and we're not so worried about, the, it's not such a problem to, not such a problem to, uh, to add Chumras beyond the Ikar in this area. That's the ruling of the Maram. This ruling of the Maram was heavily discussed by later poskim. The Beis Yosef, actually in Arachayim, in Halchah Suda, Beis Yosef says he brings Yesh Machmirim, some have this personal stringency to not eat, milk, to not eat meat after cheese. Why? So he brings two reasons, two sources. The second source he brings is Ismaram. The first source he brings is the Zohar. Halacha generally is established by Talmudic rules, by other Midrashah halacha, by Mishnah. Every now and then we establish halacha based on the Zohar. The Zohar in Parshat Meshpatim says that anyone who eats high mechla kechada eats meat and milk together, obeshat achada or in one hour, Obisuda achada or in one suda. So bad things happen. 40 days, he sees uh, a, apparently an ominous uh, vision of some kind of goat, and, uh, and then he sees there are siyata misava, miskarvin Bade, there are bad spiritual entities that are approaching him, the garam dinin ba'alma, and they arouse uh, judgments, dinin unholy judgments, the olid bar me'inun Yoman if a person fathers a child, uh, in, in, during this period, so Odesfred Landeshmasamisitra Akra, the child is loaned, whatever that means, he's loaned a, a soul from the that has demonic uh, satanic uh, taint to it, glavi Kadisha, which is unholy. So, Ainlano Esecronistaros, I am not a Kabbalist, I don't know Zohar, but the post can bring the Zohar that bad things happen if you eat meat and milk together, or even an hour apart, in the same hour. And it's not entirely clear, again, we'll discuss this in more detail soon, it's not entirely clear what the Zohar means together, or an hour apart. Which one did you eat first? We're going to see there's a Marshal, who says it means you ate meat first. Where we're, we're all strict to wait after meat. But the Beis Yosef understands that some people understood the Zohar to mean in any order. Even, even cheese first, you cannot eat meat too soon after cheese. How soon is too soon? The Zohar says, Shatachadah, one hour. But the, some people had, some people understood that the Zohar means to say the Zohar means to be cholik on the Talmud the Zohar means to say that the you need to wait the full separation between milk and meat that you that you need to wait between meat and milk, so the Zohar has this the, the, a strong injunction to wait between milk and meat. Then the Beis Yosef brings the tshuva and the Maram. Beis Yosef says Vada Ishu Zalarase for a Maram certainly did not see the Zohar. He says the Zohar was published later. And nevertheless, he says, Maram was still machmer because of the arguments he makes, because of what happened, his, his close encounter. Maram was meekill with regard to poultry, he says, he didn't see the Zohar. The Zohar, he says, we've seen the Zohar. Beis Yosef recommends being strict even about Basarof. It's not entirely clear. The Marshal asks, where did the Beis Yosef see anything about poultry and the Zohar? The Zohar just, the Zohar just says, eat Basar B'cholov, doesn't say anything about poultry, but somehow the Beis Yosef said, Maram didn't see the Zohar, the Zohar indicates you shouldn't eat even poultry after after cheese. Beis Yosef recommends, tov doesn't say you have to, but he says, tov nachon to be machmer, even for Basarov. Nevertheless, Beis Yosef does not bring this chumra in Shulchanarch, neither in Archaim, nor in Yerdea. I don't think he, he does not bring this chumra of the Maram and the Zohar to wait between milk and meat. The Darkei Moshe. However, the Ramosha uh, Israelist, the author of the Ramah, in the Dark Moshe, he brings the Maram, he brings other postkim who talk about this, he brings the Minhag, he brings, he brings the Beis Yosef, and he brings the Zohar. And the, and the Ramah in Shulchan Aruch does bring this Minhag to wait after eating cheese. The Mechaber, the Shulchan Aruch just brings the dinner of the Gemara. You need to wait after meat, you don't need to wait after cheese. The Ramah says in Yerodea, and Simon Peytas, and Hilchas Pasib Rachalav, the Ramah says, Yesh Machmirin. Some are even to eat meat after cheese maram Beis yosef, and the Ramah says v'chei kol shagvina kasha. This is our custom if the cheese is hard. This word kasha, it appears in the Dark Moshe as well. The the, the Ramos says the minog is the Ramos says the minog is that the, the in in, in the Dark Moshe he brings that the he brings from the from the that if it's Gvina a if it's old cheese, then if it's old cheese, then we wait. He says that the he says if, if it's old cheese that we wait. He says Harbing nagin to wait after Gvina kasha. So the Ramaz version of this chumrah based on the eser the Ramaz version is that we wait, but after old cheese, after hard cheese or old cheese kasha yeshana. There's a there's a great deal of discussion in later postkim, the shach and the taz, and contemporary postkim what exactly is considered old cheese and hard cheese. There is all kinds of, you can, you can read, uh, very interesting and detailed discussions by the OU, by Rav Evram and others in the OU, by other cashless organizations, the Star K. Some understand that the, we're actually concerned about the texture of the cheese, a cheese that you can't slice and you can't cut, but you have to grate and you have to, uh, that, that, that requires grating, it's so hard, you can't really, can't really slice it. That's what's meant by, by hard cheese. Some say, based on the earlier post, any cheese that has aged six months, some say aging applies even on the supermarket shelves, even if it's just an American cheese or something, a cheese product, or whatever it is. If it sat on a shelf for six months, even though it's not aging in any, uh, in any kind of sore type of way, you still have to wait. Some say it's only if it's aged in a real aging process where the cheese changes. But whatever it is, you can read all kinds of uh, interesting discussions about exactly what kind of cheese is considered hard cheese. But we are machmer for this. We, B'nai Ashkenaz, I, I can't speak for this Fardim, but we, B'nai Ashkenaz, are actually machmer for this Chumrah. We do actually wait, uh, we do actually wait, and generally the post can say it's not one hour. The, the minhag is that we wait six hours. We wait whatever we wait for between meat and milk. If you wait six hours for meat and milk, you wait six hours between soft cheese and hard cheese, between soft, between hard cheese and meat, not soft cheese, but between hard cheese and meat. You wait the same six hours as you do between, uh, as you do between, uh, between uh, meat and milk. Rabbi Vram Gordemer for the OU, for example, has an updated list, May, May 2nd, 2022. He has a list of several dozen types of cheeses and which kinds require waiting. I don't even know what most of these are. I'm not really a cheese person, but some of the ones that need, that need waiting, he says, for, are, include, for example, Monterey Jack Foreign Market, Monterey Jack Dry, um, Parmesan. So there are various cheeses that in, the, that in the opinions of the experts are considered hard cheeses, and you, and you have to wait six hours between, between that. Assuming you wait six hours for meat and milk, you have to wait six hours between that cheese and meat. There actually is a Makloksa Poskim, where someone brought to and he said that you weren't in Europe hard cheese is really you can't cut it with a knife have in all these hard cheeses, so there's like no hard cheese in America. My, my wife is quoting an opinion of Rashmul Kamenetsky that he said that we, we don't know in America we don't know what a proper European hard cheese is we don't have any hard cheese in America hard cheese means it's so hard you can't even use a knife. but in the opinion of other cashless agencies they're stricter and they say that, even if you can cut it, if it can really only be grated rather than sliced, then according to one, one opinion, they say it's so brittle that it shreds or grates when cut, and you can't slice it. The vast majority do not fit into this category. Parmesan is the only common cheese that meets the narrow definition. Other posts can say six months, though, you says. A third group is that it has to be aged for six months to attain a proper, very firm texture. It's a combination of aging plus uh, a, a, a distinct change in the texture. So there are different opinions how common, how common uh, this is, but the, there is a widespread minimum in Ashkenaz, based on this Maram and the Zohar, that we wait six hours between hard cheese, at least hard cheese and meat. Now, there is another interpretation of the Zohar. Again, the Zohar doesn't say the Zohar says the word shah chada, shah, that one hour. And there are some who understand that the Zohar actually applies to all cheese, but They don't say six hours, they just say you wait an hour. So there is actually a chumrah that some people have that they won't eat meat after any cheese within about an hour. That's another chumrah. That chumrah is not not brought in the Ramah. The the, the Ramah's version of this chumrah is specifically for hard cheese, and the cashwets agencies and the major poskim typically took this chumrah of the maram and the zohar. They assumed it was talking about hard cheese, and that's where the minig is at least. And therefore, based on this maram and based on this zohar, two very different type of sources... The minhag the developed a very, a very, uh, very well-established minhag in Ashkenaz that we wait six hours between hard cheese, however you define hard cheese, and meat. But returning to the maram itself. So the maram himself he said originally he thought this was, originally he thought this was minos. He thought this was uh, Lutzanus, and then he changed his mind and he thought it was a good, a good idea to make this homer. So what happened? What exactly was the maram's? What exactly was the maram's uh, change of heart? and philosophically speaking, what changed? Are you allowed to add Humrus to the Gemara? Are you not allowed to add Humrus to the Gemara? What exactly was the Maram's position? What did he think originally? What did he think at the end? How do we understand the, 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 the real issue at stake in this Maram? So the Marshal, the Marshal is not happy with the Maram. The, the, marshal about, the Marshal writes about this Maram. He says, unlike the Beis Yosef and the Ramah who accept it, the Marshal writes, write, you're not allowed to be Machmer, He's not allowed to be Machmir for... He's not upset with the Maram, but, but, but he limits the Maram very, very drastically. He says, the Maram's initial position, that it's Minus, that it's Lutzanus, to, uh, to add stringencies to the Gemara, the maram, never, the maram never retreated from that position. The Maram holds that in general, to make up your own Chumras, where the Gemara is lenient, is wrong. We have no right to do that. In general, the Marshal Paskins, if someone decides he wants to be stringent and add a Chumra to the Gemara, he wants to be holier than the Pope, so to speak, to use a somewhat uh, irreverent expression, if someone wants to be frumer than the Gemara, you're not allowed to do that. It's wrong. What about the Maram? What was the Maram's thought process? So he says, the, the, Maram, the Maram was only allowed to do this because he himself had a, near, had a close encounter. If the Maram himself personally saw he ran into trouble, he was allowed to adopt the Chumrah for himself. The Maram never says he encourages Chumrah for other people. He said he, was, he made Xerah for himself. The Maram says... That the the maram says Ghazarti I made a personal stringency. He never said he recommended it for anybody else. The marshal the marshal says he was only allowed to make it for himself. The, the marshal says the maram kept his initial assumption that you're not allowed to add in general chumras to the gemara. He himself was a, with added the chumra because he himself saw that he once had a problem. So that's how the marshal Paskins. Even someone who is very pious in general has all kinds of chumras is not allowed to be machmer on something that the gemara did said was mutter. Unless one of, two, one of two things, unless either he himself saw that it was a problem for him, he himself had a, had a, had a problematic encounter, a problematic experience, or he says if he knows that he has, that he has holes in his teeth, if he knows that, that the nature of his teeth are such that they tend to get food stuck in them, then he says he knows he can't clean his teeth, well, then he has the right to be machmer. So if you know that you are in particular circumstances, that this Xerah makes sense, either because you had such an experience, or because you you know the contours of your teeth, then you're allowed to be machmer. But in general, a person is not allowed to say, I want to be firmer than the Gemara. You're not allowed to do that. That is the position of the maram, as understood by the marshal. He's not really retracting his initial position. He's only saying that if you have particular circumstances, you can be machmer. But in general, it is illegitimate to add chumras to the Gemara. The shach disagrees. The shach brings the marshal. The shach says marshal sham karatagar al mahmirim The marshal says that those who are Mahmer are wrong. It's heretical. And the maram was was an exception because he had a personal bad experience. Says the shach, I disagree. Ein dvar of I don't think the marshal of maram is correct. maram ma The shach understands maram's final position to be you are allowed to add chumras. Even though he mentions a personal experience, the shach understands that was not crucial to his decision to adopt the chumra. The shach apparently understands that the maram simply changed his mind. The fact that he had this experience prompted him to rethink it maybe, but rethink his position. But the maram's ultimate position is that ipcha, that a person is allowed to add chumras. As he said, we see the Gemara itself says that people added certain chumras. The maram himself uh, mentions that the Gemara says people added certain chumras. It wasn't just... He added a personal Chumr. He says we see in the Gemara that different Amoraim would add Chumrus beyond the ikra din. Others say that was before the that, that was still during the Talmudic period. During the Talmudic period, you're allowed to do that. But after the Talmud was sealed and finalized, you're not allowed to add Chumrus anymore. But the Shach understands the Maram to be saying that no, even though the Muram in his youthful his youthful dogmatic position was you're not allowed to add Chumrus, The the, the, the Maram in his older more mature period said you are allowed to add humrus, he was inspired to rethink this apparently by his own experience, but the principle is he, he had a fundamental shift in an uh, attitude that the Maram ultimately believed a person is allowed to add humrus to the Talmud, despite the fact the Talmud says this is mutter, you are allowed to say, but I want to be machmer, I, I don't think the Talmud is wrong, but I, I want to add additional humrus as a matter of piety. So we have two very different approaches to the Maram here, we have the marshal who says the maram's initial position is correct. You're not allowed to add chumras except for special cases. So the marshal is not pleased with applying this maram to generate a, a regular chumra even for even for archies for anything. The marshal does not like this whole chumra of the of the based on the maram. As opposed to that, we have the shach. The shach says no. The maram's mature position. The maram's final position was you're allowed to ha- you're allowed to add chumras you are allowed to add chumras, at least in the area of busra Bukhala, the talmud itself we records that different 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 scholars added chumras. and there are, and the and the shach position therefore is that the, that, the, that the that the marams maskana is that a person is allowed to add chumras. as we've seen the rama and all the later poskim did accept the and of maram at least with regard to harachis but but maybe that's like the shach but i'll call upon him the that we have a very basic machlokis here between the marshal and the, and the, and the shach, the marshal, the, how they understand the maram. The marshal says that you are not allowed to add chumrith to the Talmud. If the Talmud says something is mutter, then it's mutter. You it can't be firmer than the Talmud unless you have a personal, personal, personal specific circumstances. And the shach says no. The shach says the maram's final position is a person is allowed to add chumrith despite the fact that the Talmud says it is mutter. Yes. So what's the difference between um knither which you take on some restriction and and uh, becoming more uh taking a a Chumrah. Uh, if you're not imposing it on anybody else, uh are you uh hurting anybody by taking this on. So you're you're asking what would be wrong with adopting a homra if it doesn't bother anybody else? So I, I think some of the, the Marshal and the Maram in his uh, early position held that you know, if you want to just add uh, piety and like fast and, uh, and, and become a an Nazir and so on, that, that's a different question whether that's appropriate or not. But, but those who say it's appropriate, they say abstemiousness and, uh, and piety and Kadish lach is fine. It's fine because you're allowed, you're allowed to add different kinds of ascetic practices. But if it's a question of halacha, you're not depriving yourself of meat because you want to just practice asceticism, you're depriving yourself of meat because you believe halacha should be practiced a certain way you believe that a stricter approach to halacha is appropriate, and Chazal said it's not appropriate, so that they, they feel is wrong, that they're trying to, trying to uh, implement halacha in ways which are different from the, even though you're not hurting anybody even though you're not you're not violating any halacha you're not hurting anybody, but if, if it's within the sphere of halacha, if you're practicing halacha in a uh, if you're practicing halacha in, in a way different from the, from chazalwar, that's wrong. You're supposed to follow the halacha as it says. You're not supposed to just say, I want to add Chumras. I, I remember. So, I, is, there, is there a thought also, Rabbi, that uh, you're supposed to enjoy this world? And if you put in self restrictions, you are reducing that particular responsibility uh, be also being part of the world? Yes, so, so the question is, is is there also a Jewish value to enjoying the world? And is there also a, an argument that unnecessary self-deprivation is wrong? The answer is yes. The answer is this is a major discussion in the Talmud, in Bavakama, in Tanis, whether even a Nazir, the Torah has a whole parashah about a Nazir, we're going to read it in a few weeks, the Torah has an entire pash about a Nazir, the, the Talmud brings conflicting opinions as to whether the Nazir is considered holy, kadosh gadol as the Torah says, because he's, uh, he's abstaining from permitted pleasures, so he's a holy man, or is he a choteh, he brings a karbonchatos, and one opinion is, that unnecessary self self deprivation is usr. You're not allowed to deprive yourself of things, of things for no reason. How we paskin is also not clear. The the, the, the the rambam seems to paskin that if you deprive yourself of something unnecessarily, you're actually a chote. Some some achronim, the Vilna goy and Moshe Feinstein, understand the rambam differently. But the there is a major opinion in the talmud that if someone if someone imposes upon himself unnecessary asceticism, that's wrong and it's considered a chet. Because Hashem wants you to have hana from the world as permitted, as permitted by, uh, as permitted by by the halacha. So that would be another dimension to this machlokus. That if you deprive yourself of something unnecessarily, maybe you get into this question of of uh, of um, Arguably, this is not really quite that level because it's one thing to say I'm not going to drink wine for weeks at a time. I'm not going. I'm going to fast for a day at a time. Just to say, I'll wait before eating meat another few hours. Uh, I can I can eat meat. I can eat meat later. I can eat other foods now. It's not necessarily in most cases. It's not a huge deprivation. It's a, it's a mild inconvenience to your schedule. Yeah, there are always going to be some cases where it means you'll go hungry or it means you you have nothing else to eat. But but in general, this is not a huge amount of deprivation. So so, so, so so I don't know if Postkin would say here that that comes into play. But yes, there definitely is a Jewish value. It's a, it's a controversial Jewish value, it's debated, but there definitely is a, a major school of thought within Judaism that says that unnecessary deprivation is wrong. So, we have this machlokas between the, between the Marshal and the, and the Shach, and it's really a machlokas between the Maram in his early period, and maybe the Maram may or may not have changed his mind. Whether it's appropriate to just go around uh, adding Chumras, where the Gemara says something is mutter, whether it's appropriate to just add chumras or not. So later, Akharim discusses this as well. They discuss. Uh, they, they, they they try, they try to uh, reconcile the, the the conflicting stages in the in the in the Maram's thought. The Chida in Berke Yosef brings a, brings brings a, bring, bring something from the Chuvas Divrei Yosef, who makes an interesting chiluk. He says that the Maram's objection, to what he called minus, what he said was worthy of mockery was where somebody adopted a Chumrah and thinks it's Ikara Din, thinks he's doing it, but Din. If someone is confused about the Halacha, if someone is, if someone is uh, not properly articulating what's Halacha and what's Chumrah, that's what the Maram was upset about. But if someone understands this is Mutcher Medina and is making a Geder, that's, that, that's okay. So the Maram is really only criticizing those who, those who confuse the question of Din and Chumrah. Um... So it's not so sure how easily that reads into the, into the Maram, but, but that, that's what the De'Vere Yosef says. The real concern is with the confusion of din and Chumrah. But if, if, you, if you fully understand it's a Chumrah, that's fine. That's a famous idea of Chazal that, that, was, that that's what happened at the Eitz Hadass, that, that Hashem said don't eat from the Eitz Hadass. Adam told Chava don't touch it. Chava reported to the Nachash, you're not supposed to touch the Eitz Hadass. And the Nachash pushed her against it and nothing happened. And he said, you see, it's harmless, nothing happens if you touch it, you might as well eat it also, and that's what led to her eating it. This is an idea we find in Chazal, we find in the Torah, that confusion between what's Meikra, Din, and what's Xerah can lead to uh, problems. Rabbi Yehuda herzl Henkin is, is very much opposed to this, he's very, much, he's very concerned about this, he, he, he argues strenuously that it's crucial for Postkim to uh, be careful when, when they write uh, halachic works to distinguish between Din and Khumra and even good Chumrah, but distinguish what's absolutely Osser, what's a recommended what what's a Hidr. He, he says his grandfather, of Yosef Aliohenken, the great uh, Posik of, in New York, was, was very upset about certain Svarim that uh, didn't that just mixed everything together and didn't properly distinguish between Din and khumra and Hidr and so on. I'll call upon him, so that's how the different Yosef understands the Maram, that it's, it's perfectly fine to add Chumrah's, but you should not, as long as you make sure, to clearly distinguish between them and the did. The truth is, this basic point point of contention here between the Shach and the marshal is really something that manifests itself in many other areas of Halacha as well. There's a famous Yushalmi. The Yushalmi says, Someone who is exempt from a certain thing, from a mitzvah, and does it anyway, is called a hedyot. One place Yushalmi says this is about sukkah, it says, if you're sitting in the sukkah and it rains, you're potter from sukkah, you can go inside. If someone insists on sitting in the sukkah, even though it's raining, he wants to be pious, he wants to be frum, then, uh, then, then, then he, we, we don't say he's a chassid, we don't say he's doing a flimish zedin. On the contrary, we say he's a hediot. Yet, the Post can point out, within Hilcha sukkah itself, just a few pages earlier, it says that you only have to eat bread in a sukkah. If you eat other food, you have an apple, you drink a glass of water, you don't have to eat them in the sukkah. But someone who is meticulous and eats everything in the sukkah, tavo of bracha. What happened? We just said if you eat in the rain, we said it's mitzdar poter minas sukkah. You're a hadyet if you do that. If you eat an apple in the sukkah, you go out to the sukkah to eat an apple. We don't say you're a hadyet. We say tavo ala bracha. So why don't we say if you eat in the rain, it's tavo bracha? So what's the rule? When do we say that uh, that, that adding chumras and adding things you clearly poter mikra din, but saying I want to be more meticulous, I want to be frumer? When do we say tavo ala bracha? When do we say hadyet? So this is a question which the Akronim grapple with. One, one, one opinion is, the opinion of the, the opinion of the Mari the, the Yaakov, the Marival, they say that there's nothing wrong with any Chumras. Someone wants to add a Chumra, wants to add a Hidr, even if the Halacha is 100% clear that it's, that it's mutter, that he's potter. you're allowed to add Chumras, you're allowed to do what you want. The only reason we say that sitting in the rain is a Hedyot is because sitting in the rain makes you miserable. The Torah says, The Torah, the, the, the halacha is supposed to be pleasant. The halacha is supposed to be attractive. Doing something unnatural, doing something perverse, sitting in the rain—that runs runs counter to the ethos of the Torah. So that's called hediyot. But just going to the circuit in an apple—what's the big deal? You, you 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 picked yourself up and you went to the circuit in apples. So that that's great. Tavvul abracha. When it comes to sitting in the rain, first of all, it's, it, it's not it's against the spirit of the Torah. Second, on Yom Tov, you're supposed to be happy. You're not supposed to, to, to be all wet and soggy on Yom Tov. That's why it's a, it's a hediyot. But Baalma, we say, good, it's good to have chumras. The other Achram have other Chalukim. The the Bikura Yaakov, for Yaakov Eslinger, says that if you're potter while you're eating your potter, that's a hediyot. Right now you're potter. What are you eating? You're doing something that's pointless. However, he says when... Uh, however, he says... He talks about another case. The halacha is, let's say a person, it's raining in the middle of the night, he goes inside, he packs up his bedding, he goes inside, and then it's, uh, and then the, the sky clears. It's three o'clock in the morning, now it's a beautiful moonlit night. Or not moonlit nights. should he go back to the sukkah? The halacha is your potter, because it will be a tircha. it would be a, a hassle to go back to the sukkah. There it says, if you go, you get a mitzvah. Why? Because yeah, once you're in the sukkah, you'll enjoy it. If the hassle is before the mitzvah, schlepping down to the sukkah. Once you're in the sukkah, you'll be fine. That's why it's tavola bracha. That's why it's a good thing to do. But if while you're in the sukkah it's raining, then we say, uh, then, then we say that's a hedyot. He says, taking stuff down to the sukkah is like water. It's, a, it's like while you're in the sukkah, you'll be getting a mitzvah. The chidah has another chiluk. The chidah, says that, the chidah makes another distinction. He says that, with, when do we say nikra hedyot? He says, that's benadr lamakum. Something like doing a mitzvah benadr lamakum where there's no point in doing it. Why would you bother to do it, he says. When it comes to mitzvah, when it comes to benefiting your fellow Jew, and you go beyond the letter of the law, that's great. That's what's in Mishra said No one's going to call you a hediot for being extra nice to your friend. No one's going to say, you know, I'm a but if I, if I pay you money anyway, if I, if I give you an extra smile, and if I, if I help you out, I'm a hediot. Of course not. When it comes to mitzvah, you're certainly not a hediot. When it comes to God, God doesn't need, I guess the Tzvarei is, God doesn't need your mitzvahs, and if he tells you you're a then you're a So what's the point of doing it? So we have all these different distinctions when you're a hedyot and when, you, when you're a, uh, a chasid, when we say tavo ala bracha, At the end of the day, it's not entirely clear what, what the rules really are. We have all these conflicting sources. Sometimes we say nikra hedyot, sometimes we say tavo ala bracha. I'll just, I'll just conclude with one, with one final uh, machlokis, a very interesting machlokis, which I've never really seen anyone discuss, is that there is an interesting machlokis between the raivad and the ramban. This year is shmita. The halacha is that the is that uh, shmita, besides all the agricultural halachas, there's the halacha that shmita, uh, involves a cancellation of debts. So if someone owes money, and shmita comes, then the debt is canceled. Now, there's machlokzah poskim whether shmita is noeg bismana whether all is is bismana zeh, whether shmitas k'zafim is noeg, azeh, is noeg azeh. We obviously are machmer. We, we, we do we do try to treat we do we do try to be machmer certainly for shmitas karka, even for shmitas k'zafim, according to some poskim. We try to be machmer that Shemitah Ksafim actually applies Bismanazah, but it's actually a machlokis. And the ravid the ribid maintains that Shemitah Safim does not apply Bismanaze. In the period of the exile, Shemitah's Ksafim does not apply, not Midaraisa, not even midrabanah. according to uh, the ravid says. According to one approach at least, Shemitah's Kzafim does not even apply midrabanah. So the ravid has an obvious problem that the Talmud relates it to a various Amaraim who did practice Shemitah Shafim. They wrote a Prisbul, which is something you do to, uh, to uh, legitimize the, the collecting of loans when Shemitah Shafim applies. They wrote Prisbul. Why? If Shemitah Shafim doesn't apply by why were they writing Prisbul in, in, in the Babylonian period, after the Horban? So he says, maybe, the rabbit says, they were knowing Agmitah chasidus, Even though Shemitah does not apply, they practiced Shemitah anyway. And all the Amorim and the Gemara records were practicing Shemitah, that was, really, Shemitah does not apply, we, not Midarait, not even Midarabanan, and they were doing this as a Midas Hasidus. Says the Ramban, someone who says that the Amarayim were conducting themselves as a Midas Hasidus, that's wrong, he says. Why? Because someone who does something Allah has you don't have to do, is not a Hasid, he's a You Yushalmi says, if you're not Mitzuva B'davar and you do it, you're called a Hediot. So the Ramban says it would make no sense to practice shmita. If, uh, to practice Shemitah, if, if it was potter, you'd just be a head yot, you wouldn't be a Chassid. Even though we just mentioned the Chidah, who says, when it comes to B'adon L'chavero, that we don't say Hedyoth, maybe that would be true if you actually uh, were Mochel the Chov and Shemitah. If you just ride a Przbul and collect the Chov anyway, then you're not exactly doing any favor for your friend, you're just going through the, the ritual act of riding a Przbul. So the Ramban says, you're not a Chassid, you're, you're, you're a head yot. If, 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 the, if it would really be true that Shemitah was, did not apply B'zman Hazep, Therefore, it's only midas chasidus. that makes no sense. There's no such thing as a midus if you're potter Meek, or Adin, Therefore, the Ramban says the fact that the Amaraim practise Mita is a proof that it actually is no egg, at least Midrabanan, because it makes no sense to have a Midas chasidus. Again, why not? I mean we just said in some areas we find we, we find Midas Hasidus, drinking water in the sukkah, and we saw that some postcom said that you're only you're only called uh, you're only called a head if it involves some kind of sacrifice, like being all wet and uncomfortable, but a Prisbul is a relatively painless thing to do. So, why would Ramban... Maybe that's what the Rabbit held. The Raivet held that the meet of It doesn't cost anything. It's just a Chumrah. You're just being from. Why not do it? Ramban says no. Ramban says if you just write a prosbul, where you don't have to, that would be called Hediot. That would not be called chasidus. So This is an interesting machlokas, Raivet and Ramban. Again, and this all goes back to the... To, to, to a certain extent to the... this takes us back to the Maram. The Maram, when he was young, he thought adding humrus to Basar Bukhalov is, uh, is minas, it's worthy of mockery. And in, in his mature period, he said that it makes sense to, to add such humrus. He did it himself. Some say, the marshal says he only did it personally, because he had personal circumstances that allowed it. Others say it was a general change of heart, that he felt that, at least in the area of Basar Bukhalov, we find in the Talmud itself people had humrus. But this is a general question all over halacha which is difficult to give completely satisfying, completely consistent rules, sometimes we say that adding chumras, adding, uh, adding yisurim, adding mitzvahs, where you're not actually chayev, it's not actually usur, sometimes we call it hediot, we say it's being foolish, it's misguided, it's minas even, other times we say it is a, a midas chasidus. it's a good idea, tavo bracha, and it's difficult to say when, uh, when we say one, when we say the other. I should just mention one last thing, I uh, wasn't, wasn't planning on mentioning this, but I should mention one other machlokas. My father used to tell me this all the time. There's a famous machlokas, achronim. If something is butl b'shishim, a tiny bit of milk falls into meat, a tiny bit of isir falls into heter. enough that it's butl. It's one in a hundred, so it's buttel, So you let it eat it. You say, look, I, I want to be extra pious. I don't want to eat it because there's some isir uh, buried in there. Some say, okay, it's a nice summer. Others say, it's minus. Chazal said it's Batal. The Torah said it's Batal. You say it's not Batal? Who do you think you are? The Torah said it is Batal. That's also a case where we find, again, these, these, these very different approaches. Some say that, that, that if it's a halachic issue and you are choosing to adopt a stricter standard than the halacha, that's actually, that actually smacks of heresy. In other places, though, in many other areas of halacha, and in this case itself, some posts can say it's fine. And many other areas of halacha as well, we say that being stricter than the halacha requires is... Not only permitted, but it's even good, it is tavo alav bracham.